Chapter 31, Mr. Kermit. The Coco Nerd is back, in a manner of speaking. Not that anybody would recognize it. It bears very little resemblance to the 1992 Chrysler Concorde Fiona picked out all those years ago. It looks like exactly what it is. I mean, a set of wheels designed by a bunch of 8th graders who think nothing is worth driving unless everybody's staring at it. Chrome, glitter paint, that's my kind of car. LED lights, tailpipes the size of a cruise missile, and the engine you can barely see over. I'm afraid to honk the horn. I know their taste in music. Even without the racing fuel, the thing is a rocket. The first time I dare to tap the gas pedal, I nearly rear-end a cement truck. Only Dale Earnhardt Jr. could drive this car. It seems it should be outlawed by the government. I'm crazy about it. My kids built this for me. It's the second greatest gift they could have given me. Number one being the sight of the superintendent, Thaddeus, diving headfirst into a muddy flower bed, coming up fragrant with fertilizer and chrysanthemum behind his ear. They're the best best class any soon-to-be ex-teacher could ever hope to have. They even put a frog logo on the door in honor of my last name, Kermit the Frog. Come to think of it, the frog theme has been in place since the beginning of the year. More proof that the so-called unteachables have better heads on their shoulders than anyone suspected. I just never connected it with all the riveting before. I don't mind. It's kind of a tribute. One day, a cop pulls me over for just pulls me over just to get a good look at what I'm driving. The officer writes out a ticket, <clears throat> giving me one week to cover up the engine. I call Jake, who promises to design a hood that complies with the law. He also agrees to raise the seat four inches so I'll be able to see the road in front of me. I don't want the kids working on it, I insist over the phone. They've done more than enough for me already. I've loved being their sponsor, Jake replies. They're a fantastic group. A brief pause. Too bad not all your classes measured up to their level. He's a thousand percent right about that. Who'd know better than Jake, who single-handedly made up the 92, 1992 class a nightmare and messed up my life in the process. On the other hand, 1992 was a long time ago. In 1992, the Coco Nerd was just a car. Today, it's a weapon of mass destruction. The transformation of Jake Terranova has been no less dramatic. He's a businessman, an entrepreneur, a grown-up, a solid citizen who's done so much for the unteachables. Plus, a few days ago, I spotted his Porsche parked in front of the Greenwich Diamond Exchange and Jake himself inside, examining a velvet tray of rings. Fiona's daughter could definitely do worse. People change, I tell my former student. You're, you're a good guy, Jake. Jake actually gets choked up on the other end of the line. <clears throat> I've never ruined anyone's life, but apparently it's almost as hard on the messer as it is on the messy. I go back to school on Wednesday, not because I care one way or the other, whether the place is still standing, but because I don't want the kids to think I blame them for not winning the science fair. In fact, the opposite is true. They exceeded my wildest expectations. They've been doing that on a daily basis ever since 
they dumped the Vuvuzela shipment in the river. Another thing about the new and improved Coco Nerd, it's unparkable. Those external tailpipes make it as wide as a ferry boat. But I finally get it jammed in between Emma's Prius and the pickup truck belonging to the Elias farm. The door opens and I have found about four inches of clearance to squeeze myself through. Amazingly, I make it. I've been slimming down lately thanks to the mustard on toast diet. Since I'm going to be out of a job soon, maybe it's time to reinvent myself as a weight loss guru. I'll be rich, or at least I'll be able to afford gas for the Cocoa Nerds 800, sorry, 585 horsepower engine. I've barely set foot inside the entrance foyer when Principal Vargas rushes up to me and grabs me by the arm. Zachary, I need to talk to you. Later, I promise her. I want to reassure my class now. She literally drags me into her office and shuts the door. She's obviously been staking out the front hall. It can only mean one thing. Thaddeus is using the events of the science fair to fire me effective immediately. The superintendent is so mad that he won't even let me finish out the semester. So... I say bitterly, is Thaddeus planning to axe me in person or has he got you doing his dirty work for him? In answer, she presses a copy of the Greenwich Telegraph into my hands. I don't even glance down at it. How do you like it, Christina? On some level, I regret unloading my emotions on the principal, who's never been anything except supportive, but I'm just too upset to hold it inside. How does it feel to wield the hatchet for him? Read it, Zachary, she orders. Superintendent to to super teacher, you're fired. The Greenwich Telegraph Local News by Martin Landsman, staff reporter. It's the goal of every community to create a school system in which each pupil is inspired to excel. This can't be accomplished without great teachers but an educator who can truly transform the lives of his or her students is the rarest of gems. Meet Mystery Zachary, Mr. Zachary Kermit, teacher of the self-contained special eighth grade class at Greenwich Middle School. By any objective measure, Mr. Kermit has performed a miracle. His students' test scores are up 87% this semester. SCS 8 took second place at the competitive district science fair. Disciplinary problems have virtually disappeared. Most impressive of all, the atmosphere in his classroom, formerly one of Greenwich's most difficult, has become nurturing, supportive, enthusiastic, and successful. There is no mistaking the student's opinion of their teacher. They adore him. And what's Mr. Kermit's reward for this remarkable achievement? A letter of commendation? A bonus? A promotion? No, a pink slip. He's been terminated, effective, the end of the semester. I read on. The reporter calls out Dr. Thaddeus by name and demands to know why the best teacher in the district is being fired. He accuses the superintendent of holding a personal grudge dating back to the cheating scandal in 1992 
and he includes a quote from the member of that 1992 class, prominent local business owner Jake Terranova, guaranteeing that what happened back then wasn't the teacher's fault. <clears throat> the article concludes, Dr. Thaddeus, this message is for you. It's time to put petty grievances aside and remember who our education system is supposed to serve, our children. I look up at my principal. Who wrote this? I squint at the byline. Who's Martin Landsman and how did he find out about my class? Beatrice Landsman is the sub who covered your group on Monday. Martin is her sub. I guess the kids gave her quite an earful. There's something special. I have to work hard to keep my voice steady. Every time I think I've seen the best they have to offer, they climb one rung higher. That's why I'm anxious to get to my room. We don't have very many more days together. That's what I've been trying to tell you, she exclaims. Everyone in town has seen this article. The district offices are buried in phone calls and emails. You're not fired anymore. I'm stunned. Thaddeus changed his mind? He didn't have much choice. You're a hero, and that means you can finish out the year and take early retirement in June. Congratulations, Zachary. I'm so pleased for you. A flood of relief and satisfaction washes over me. And yet, for some reason, I'm not as thrilled as I thought I would be at such good news. Where's the happy, the joy, the triumph at being, at beating back that overblown, self-important tyrant of a superintendent? It comes to me in a moment of clarity. The problem isn't the reinstated part. The problem, the part about retiring in June. Why would I fight off Thaddeus's attempt to force me out in December, only to exit voluntarily a few months later? The Unteachables have done a lot for me in this semester, but their greatest gift is this. They showed me that I'm still a teacher. I have a lot to offer students, not just this class, but many classes to come. <clears throat> I'm not retiring, I tell her. Sign me up for next year. She stares at me uncertainly. Zachary? I head for the door. And I want SCS 8. Nobody else. If anyone has questions, I'll be with my kids. I stride to room 117 with an energy and a sense of purpose I haven't known in decades. By the time I get there, my feet are barely touching the floor. So I'm a little shocked when I see how down the students are. Here I am on top of the world and they're positively drooping. Barnstorm's left crutch is the only thing keeping him from falling out of his chair. Rahim's head is on his desk again, but he isn't sleeping. He's just too depressed to sit upright. Even Aldo is missing his usual belligerent expression, making him look almost agreeable. And there isn't a single ribbit, not one. I sit down on the edge of my desk. I have an announcement to make. Kiana stands up. Us first, Mr. Kermit. Her voice is thin and watery. We're really sorry we couldn't win the science fair for you. 
We came so close, but in the end, it just wasn't enough. Maybe it's true what everybody says, that we're a bad class. I leaped to my feet. Don't ever say that. You're the best class in this school, and I know because I've been shuffled around to most of them. You've got nothing to be sorry for besides, I add, realizing I should have said this part first. I'm not fired anymore. Heads snap to attention. Even Rahim's. Elaine jumps up, sending her chair skittering. You're messing with us, Barnstorm accuses. For real, Mr. K? asks Parker, his eyes huge. For real, I confirm. I can't explain it exactly because I'm not sure I understand it myself. But it has a lot to do with... That's as far as I get. They swarm the desk, cheering and howling, almost knocking me over, battering me with high fives. Their behavior is loud, unruling and borderline violent, completely unacceptable. I accept it. They've earned that much and more. Emma rushes over from next door to investigate the ruckus. Rivet isn't fired anymore, Parker yells at her. And she joins the celebration, unruly as any of the kids. I can't help noticing she's wearing an engagement ring, a big one. I'm not her father, but in a strange way, I feel like a proud parent. Enough. Settle down, everybody. I glare, my unteachables back to their seats. Just because we got some good news doesn't mean this isn't a school. Haven't you got work to do? There's a shuffling around as books, papers, and iPads are pulled out of desks. Aldo and Elaine disappear behind their copies of Where the Red Fern Grows. That's wonderful, Mrs. Mr. Kermit, Emma breathes as she heads back to her own class. We're going to have something inspiring to talk about during circle time. As I sit down, I catch a flash of sunlight reflecting off the red and silver of the cocoa nerd out in the parking lot. We have a lot in common, the car and I. Just like me, it was a beat up old wreck on the verge of falling apart at any moment. But we were refurbished, both of us, brought back to life by seven unteachables. No! The cry from Aldo is pure agony. I turn to him in alarm. Aldo, what's wrong? His face is redder than his hair and streaked with tears. Oh, Dan and little Anne, he gasps, waving. Where the red fern grows in front of him, they're dead, both of them. Heavy, Elaine agrees, her expression solemn. Well, I begin choosing my words carefully. Some stories. Aldo cuts me off. I read one book all the way through, just one. And this is what I get for it? The cover should come with a sticker warning, do not read unless you hate dogs. The kid is totally inconsolable. By eighth grade, most readers have already experienced plenty of devastatingly sad endings. But in Aldo's case, this is the first novel he's ever finished. I turn to the Goose Bunnies chart, Good Bunnies chart, 
pluck a fluffy tail from the Ziploc baggie and affix it next to Aldo's name. Well done. You showed empathy in reacting to a piece of literature. Congratulations. Aldo seemed shocked at first. Then, amid a smattering of applause, he walks to the front of the room, removes his one and only puffy tail, and offers it to Kiana. Fair is fair, he says bravely. I owe you a lot more than just this one. Please keep it, Kiana tells him. He shakes his head. It has to work like a market economy. She stares at me. Come on, Mr. Kermit, do I have to take it? Even in a market economy, there's such a thing as giving someone you like a present if you want to. Aldo's eyes widen and his hair seems to become just a touch redder. Or maybe it's a reflection of the sudden flush in his cheeks. I issue my ruling. Absolutely, a lender is allowed to forgive a debt. And Aldo Braff, the toughest case in the entire Greenwich School District, throws his arms around Kiana and hugs her. My career has taken some strange detours, yet here I am, surrounded by the worst class I've ever had in every way but one. The fact that they're the best class I've ever had. Somehow, it feels like I'm exactly where I was meant to be, doing exactly what I was meant to do, teaching the unteachables.